Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update. Thanks for tuning in. Today should be a pretty exciting show, actually. Uh, there's a lot of attention being drawn to what's going on up in Canada and, of course, the what I'll call fallout, that is the smoke that's coming across the eastern United States, blanketing places like New Jersey, New York, and other eastern areas. With that, there's been a lot of focus on what's actually happening up in Canada. Now, for the longest time, if you're a new listener, and I assume that today we're going to have a lot of new listeners on this show, but if you are a new listener, here's just a little something that I've been thinking about this last week as this has been happening. A lot of the people that I am friends with and a lot of the people that I associate with and talk to every single day are wildland firefighters. So I was kind of sheltered to the realization that not a lot of people actually know anything about uh, wildfire, how it works, and what's going on when these wildfires break out. Now, I knew that the public was unaware of how these things kind of went down and how they're managed and the process that takes place simply from, you know, just talking to friends and family, going out and people hear that you're a firefighter and they ask you questions. And out in public where there are major wildfires around the United States, you go into a grocery store or a gas station stop and people chat with you. But it's hasn't really been to the level that I've seen um, lately, I guess in the last couple of weeks. I really got a dose of it because... I made two posts that, as of recording this, which it's Friday morning at this point in time, um, they had a cumulative uh, views and reads of about 2.2 million people. Uh, took a look at those and read uh, my thoughts on what was going on and, and with the smoke. Now, I'll read through those because it's something I want to talk about. And But then you start looking at the people who comment and so on and so forth, and there's a lot of... Uh, interesting responses. And I'm going to cover those as well to try to, one, alleviate a lot of the fear because it seems like there's a lot of people who seem to be afraid of uh, what's going on and just wildfires in general, which I can understand having that sense of fear if your home is in danger or if you're going to lose property and valuables and, and things like that, or if there's like major infrastructure that could be destroyed by these things. But just being in the East Coast of the United States and having some smoke come over, and I know it's a lot of smoke, okay? Like, I understand that it, that it is a lot of smoke. But this is what happens when there's wildfires, and it's all around the globe. Pakistan sees smoke like this. China sees smoke like this. Mongolia, places in Russia, South America. Point being... There shouldn't be this innate fear that these sort of things cause. Yes, it's smoky outside. And yes, I understand that I have a bias because I lived in smoke um, most of my career and most of my life. I would sleep in the smoke and wake up in the smoke. So maybe I'm less bothered by that. And I understand. It's like Bane where he's like, I grew up in the darkness. I was born in it, molded by it. Is what he tells Batman, and he turns out the lights, and he's feeding off of Batman's fear because he's used to it, and other people are not. But I put out a post talking about that, 
And then I put out a post talking about what's going on in Canada. And I'll read through those and have some brief comments. And then I'm going to address what a lot of people are saying in the comments. Things like, all the animals are dying. We're going to talk about that. People who are saying, how did all these fires start at once? You know, it must be some grand conspiracy. And others saying, this has never happened before in the history of our planet. So on and so forth. People who are just claiming that it's eco-terrorists starting these fires. It's just arsonists. And all sorts of other things. Even the space laser thing has come up again. And I'm going to actually address that. And I'm going to talk about that. Because there's so much confusion about what's actually happening. Now, on that point, before I dive into these other things, there are technologies out there where you can redirect lightning with lasers. And this was in the Jerusalem Post. It's the largest newspaper in Israel, and it was carried all over the world, but no one talked about it. It was on page 37, but these very, very intelligent scientists have learned how to redirect lightning using lasers. And they put these systems on top of mountains, and they tested it for research purposes, and it turns out that it works. So maybe that's where some of this space laser confusion is coming from. But I want to talk about that. And then there's other people saying that there's an alien warship <laughs> that has uh, entered our solar system. I forget the name of this because um, I kind of just brushed it off. But I thought that was interesting as well. Other people are saying that Planet X is coming back into our solar system. And that is the reason for these wildfires. Hey, I've read about all these things because this is... I, I like reading about different opinions and things going on. But when it comes to the Canadian wildfires and wildfires in the United States and around the world, it's uh, not always that. But it's sometimes some of these things. And, and we'll get into that. But first, my comment on the smoke coming through New York it says, about 183 people have asked me to talk about the smoke from Canada coming into New York, New Jersey, and other eastern states. Okay, here goes. Seinfeld voice. What's up with all this wildfire smoke? From all that smoke! You've experienced a lifetime of smoking in 72 hours. What did you expect? If you live in these areas, welcome to Sam in Idaho. This is what it was like all last summer. Literally for months. Welcome to small town Montana. Welcome to the Utah Valley. Welcome to the Pacific Northwest in August. And welcome to Happy Camp, California. Welcome to Earth. There are a lot of fires currently burning in Canada. Many are lightning caused, but the majority are human caused. Pile burns, pile burn escapes, escaped campfires, escaped prescribed burns, and yes, arson. There are not a lot of fires burning in the United States. It's actually one of the slowest starts to fire season in decades. Wildfires happen across the entire planet. It's a natural cycle that ebbs and flows. Canada is busy this year. Other places, not so much. This is what wildland firefighters wake up to every single day. It's what we work in. They are the ones trying to contain these fires when they happen. Smoke jumpers, hotshots, six-pack jacked men and women who sleep in the dirt every night just to wake up and crush up a mountain to work in the smoke. The ones who were promised a raise 
while Congress sits idly by. The ones who were told recruitment, retention, and pay was priority number one. Seemingly not. The ones who are provided subpar food and eat military rations for breakfast. At least you can still get a delicious bagel and locks before you walk through the smoke. Remember the extra capers. So once the smoke clears out, which it will in due time, remember that there are men and women fighting these things. Remember that your representatives have denied them the raise because, quote, other priorities. Some are trying to help. These representatives are supporting a bill called Tim's Act. In long form, it's known as the Tim Hart Wildland Firefighter Classification Pay Parity Act. If you would like to help support these men and women who wake up and work in this type of smoke every day, contact your representatives and tell them to support Tim's Act. The smoke will clear out. It always does. Welcome to Earth. Now, we'll cover some of the comments in that. And also, if you're new to listening to this, you should contact your representatives and tell them to support Tim's Act, which provides fair pay, I guess I would call it, uh, benefits and all sorts of other things for wildland firefighters that they've been promised for the longest time. Uh, Again, decades and decades, this has been a problem where you're promised a quality wage that you can live on. And it just keeps getting pushed back. But boy, oh boy, do the politicians and the media continue to use wildland firefighters for political talking points. Now, to this article, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of reads, which is impressive. Thank you for sharing it. And I think it got a pretty good message out there. But folks are saying, hey, this is unprecedented. We've never seen this before in New York. Shut up. You know, don't stop talking about this. I don't like the smoke. There's people who are saying it'll never go away. Like they're fear mongering and being like, this is it. This is going to be this way for years. The fact of the matter is this happens all over the Western United States. It has happened on the East Coast before. In the early 1900s, there's all sorts of articles and and historical photos and things like that of, of New York and other Eastern large cities being smoked out because of wildfire, either coming from the Western United States or Canada. I'm in no way downplaying that there are a lot of fires in Canada. That's the way it is. It is happening. Uh, After I read through what this Canadian firefighter said and explains kind of how they manage these things up there, we're going to talk about how these things started and maybe debunk some things that are also being put out there. But it is true. There, there is a lot of fire happening in Canada right now in vast, vast wilderness and remote areas in the boreal forest that spans across half of our globe, right? So it goes across Russia. Then it, it continues into Alaska. And then from Alaska, it continues across Canada. If you watched the, I believe it was the maybe Discovery, BBC, one of those put out Planet Earth. And one whole episode is on forests, and they discuss this boreal forest that spans across more than half of our globe. This is the taiga forest. There are as many trees here as in all the world's rainforests combined. The taiga circles the globe and contains a third of all the trees on Earth. It produces so much oxygen that it refreshes the atmosphere of the entire planet. 
so the fires up there are being allowed to burn because this is a fire-reliant landscape that needs this sort of thing. And we'll dive deeper into that, but I want to cover what this very intelligent firefighter from Canada has said. And this is why I appreciate my subscribers and audience on Substack so much is because they send me the greatest stuff and it's people from the field and it's wonderful and it's enlightening and it provides a lot of perspective for people who clearly don't know a lot about how all of this works. So this is from a Canadian firefighter who is on wildfires up there right now, has experience and explains what's going on. It says, I know you know, but people need to know and understand that most Canadian wildfire management agencies have fire zonation policies similar to Alaska. This means in large areas of their jurisdictions, especially in the northern part of the country, so we're talking about the Northwest Territories, northern British Columbia, northern Alberta, these sorts of places, northern Saskatchewan, It means wildfires are left to run their natural course with little or no direct action or suppression. will protect values at risk, infrastructure, communities, critical habitat, or culturally significant features on the landscape. We'll map them and maybe try to burn them to a natural barrier. Fight one flank and let the rest roll, meaning limited action. But we are not putting them out. Now, for folks who aren't well-versed in the wildfire world and the wildfire industry, how this works is a lot of lightning started fires turn into managed fires. And you do, you let them run their natural course, especially in very remote wilderness areas. Because a lot of the times, this is the natural cycle that takes place in these types of forests. Now, if you have a human-caused fire, an arson fire, something like that, usually the suppression of these fires is full force and they send everybody at it because it's not quote a natural fire so they try to put these things out so what this individual is saying is up in canada also i don't think people fully grasp how large this landscape is okay this isn't you know a state forest in you know connecticut or idaho or other places even though idaho has some large large forests These are massive, massive landscapes where there really is not a whole lot of anything. And again, these ecosystems rely on fire for regeneration of that forest life force, I guess you would call it. It's needed. It's like introducing wolves back into Yellowstone. Before the park was, it was sick because they didn't have wolves in Yellowstone. And then they re-entered and reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone to bring the natural balance back to the park. And they saw all sorts of things happen. They saw the beaver population explode, and beaver dams started showing up all over the place. The herds got healthier. The bears were more active. And the entire ecosystem that was Yellowstone Park became more vibrant because the natural balance had been brought back to it. Now, there's going to be people out there, I've read it, you know, everybody's telling me that I'm a, I I support wildland firefighters and ask, ask them to support Tim Hart's act and by then I am a climate denier and don't know what I'm talking about and I should just shut up. You know, whatever, guys, if you listen to the show, read what I write and you'll get a grasp at at what 
I cover, and I cover the span of it all. I talk about the changing climate, which there are longer fire seasons in a lot of places. Some places, not so much. I talk about climate engineering, such as cloud seeding and solar engineering, and I have presented that case as well. I do a lot of talk about prescribed burns and forest management. I cover the span of all of this. But getting back to Canada, this firefighter says, on many of these fires, we don't even try. And that's not like we're being lazy and and we're not trying to put this thing out. It's that's the forest management policy. You see this in the United States as well. It says a number of these fires are huge boreal gobblers. I am currently assigned to a 250 hectare fire, which is well over 600,000 acres. And you could fit the organization chart on one side of a beer can. The only thing that is going to put out this fire and many across the entire country of Canada, is winter, five months from now. It's going to be long, smoky summer for everyone. You have a wide reach, so it would be great if you could help people understand these dynamics in the Canadian wildfire scene when they're bitching about the smoke. I understand people bitching about the smoke because they're actually closing things down in New York, like Broadway shows are canceled, baseball games are canceled, they close schools, which out in the western United States... Quite frankly, they would laugh at you, and this isn't like a they versus them or whatever, you know, one side or the other. It's it's basically just the reality of what our planet goes through. Canada doesn't see large fires every year, but if you go back, there are years where you see monster years where the boreal forest burns. So let's talk about some of the people's concerns that they've had uh, in the comments and and people sending things to my email, so on and so forth. I'm, I've actually stepped away from my email for a little bit because it's it's gotten kind of crazy. But the first thing is there's a tremendous amount of people saying, oh, all the critters are going to burn up. All the wildlife is going to die. Uh, no, that's not entirely true. A lot of them will get away. Not all of them, of course. You know, not everything lives. If you are unaware of this point, and this may be shocking to people, so everybody make sure, you know, you're sitting down when you hear this. Everything dies, (laughs) okay? Everything dies on planet Earth. The glory, the great thing is having life, And that's the experience. That's what we're here for, is to live. Because the stark reality is, is that everything does die. How that happens changes. It's different. Is it always fair? Obviously not. Of course not. But when it comes to wildfires, like hiking into a fire, you will see deer and bear and birds, rabbits, all of these things. They're running out. They're quite literally running out of the fire. They are smart. When they smell smoke, they know what that is. That being said, do some of these animals get caught in the wildfire? Yeah, yep, that does happen. But it's not like when you see these walls of fire going through the trees that the deer and the birds and the raccoons and and whatever else just hang out. They're not just laying on the ground wondering, what's that roaring sound and why can't I see anything around me? Animals are much more 
intelligent and aware of their environment than a lot of people realize. And a lot of people could make the argument that they're more aware of their environment than humans. Humans tend to linger around fire and stay around fire. So I just want to get that cleared up, people who are saying that. Now let's talk about how these things started. There's all sorts of videos out there, which is showing a looped clip of satellite image. I believe it was the Quebec fires, which is the clip that they've decided to use for this, saying that these things were all started at the same time. That's impossible. Look at all the columns. They all pop up at the same time. So, number one, you are looking at the Earth from space, from this satellite image. So, what looks like a small area or an area that, uh, you know, you're just looking at on a phone screen or a computer screen, it's like, oh my gosh, there's 25 fires that all started at the same time. You have to understand that you're looking at a space that's larger than a quarter of the United States. Okay, it's a massive, massive area. You also have to understand that lightning came through that area before these fires started. Now, I'm not saying all these fires are caused by lightning because they're not. That's just known. They're not. The Alberta Wildfire Agency themselves came out and said it was I'm not I'm going to get this number wrong but if I remember correctly they said something like 55% were human caused and 40% were caused by lightning now when it comes to the human caused fires it's a wide array of things and we're going to talk about the people who are blaming that it's eco-terrorism and it's Justin Trudeau and this is the World Economic Forum's way of pushing their agenda Now, again, I know what these things are. I've talked about them when I've talked about the UN wildfire policy paper that came out and the discussions and people connected with things like the International Wildland Firefighter Association, which is this international membership association that holds conferences about the global effects of wildfire. And there's a lot of very smart, intelligent people there. I've tried to have some of them on my show, but they've turned me down. But I've tried to have them on the show because I'm interested in it because they have a lot of cool points. And it's good to listen to a wide array of thoughts on what's coming in the future of wildfire. So when people are saying that this is a World Economic Forum agenda, you know, this is they're using space lasers, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, you have to understand that I I kind of understand where these people are coming from. Um, but the point being is it's not all that. Like it's it's not. When it comes to human-caused fires, there's a number of things. One, there are people who burn trash in Canada. There's people who burn trash in the United States. They put these things in things called burn barrels. And in rural areas, this is very common practice around the entire planet. People who live in cities don't really understand that this sort of thing happens. But when you are, you know, 80 miles from a town, there's not garbage service. You either have to haul it to a dump or you burn it. And there's permits for this or you're just allowed to do it or people just do it. And you bag up your trash, throw it in a burn barrel, and you burn it. 
Winds come, and of course, that picks up embers, and fires start. There's things like people dragging trailer chains. I've seen those cause all sorts of fires. People using machinery through tall, dry grass. The heat of the muffler and the catalytic converter is hot enough to start fires. Then you have arsonists. And there are different types of arsonists, and this is something that I've covered extensively. You have schizophrenic arsonists who there's reports all over the United States, at least I've covered it, where there's people who are running around starting fires saying that the voices in their head have told them to do it. And this happens. They're mentally unstable people and they do these sorts of things. Then you have arsonists who want to just see stuff burn and they're pyromaniacs. And they light fires, and a lot of them linger around the fire that they start because they want to watch it. They want to watch it burn. There's those types of arsonists. Then you have these people in the comments saying, it's eco-terrorists, and they're starting these things on fire to push the narrative of climate change. Now, is there such a thing as eco-terrorists who start wildfires? The answer to that question is yes, We've covered that. There was incidents down in Chile just this last year, and over in Spain, this took place over the winter time, and we covered that as well. All of these articles can be found on our Substack. It's the hotshotwakeup.substack.com, where I write about these things, and these podcasts are also posted. And the governments of those countries claimed that eco-terrorists were starting wildfires in their countries. Chile even put in a military curfew to stop people from traveling on trains throughout the country and to slow people's movements during the critical fire weather because they knew people were starting these fires on purpose. And it was it was for a lot of reasons. They were anti-timber industry. They were anti-industrial farms, all of these things. So they were starting these wildfires. There's even wildfire aviation planes that were getting shot at and a lot of armed people down there who were just causing a lot of problems for people trying to put these fires out. What then ends up happening is the media picks up these wildfire stories and they do, they make a big, big splash about it. And they say, look, 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 be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. The end is now, the end is coming, it's all over. And that's not helpful to anybody because it preys on people's fear and it basically misinforms people about uh, wildfire in general, you know? Now, any wildfire, when someone who reads these things sees it, they're instantly afraid of it and they think they need to put it out. And that's another part of the comments that I'm seeing on these Canada fires is we've reverted back to talking like we were talking 100 years ago, which is we need to put these things out instantly. We have to put these things out immediately. Why are we letting them burn? It's smoky. Put them out, put them out. And that ultimately is what led to our choked out forests in the United States, which has led to increased severity of wildfire across our nation. And that was forest mismanagement. And no, I don't get paid by the timber industry. And no, I don't have any connections or money with prescribed burns or thinning operations. I'm just speaking. If you're one first time listener, I don't have any ads and I don't have any sponsors. I just, I just say what I know about wildfires and discuss it. And that's a lot of it. I'm I'm open to the discussion of this sort of thing. So people are back to saying we need to put these things out immediately. That's not a very good narrative. Um, The other thing is, is 
you see what's coming out of Washington, D.C. now, and it's split. If you go and listen to what uh, Democrats and what would be called the left, they're screaming, climate change, climate change, we need billions and billions of dollars for Green New Deal initiatives. And then if you look at the Republicans, or what is known as the right, they are saying we need billions and billions of dollars for forest management and more timber harvest and things like this. Neither side is talking about paying firefighters fairly and passing the proposed raises that have, they've been promised. That's what a lot of people don't understand, is they've been promised to these wildland firefighters. They were given a taste of these raises for one year, and they called it retention pay. And now they're saying in September that's going to go away, and we're not sure if it's going to pass. So again, it's been highly politicized, and the talking points are on either side, but no one is discussing everyone that they're asking to do this work. If you look at the left, they're saying, hey, we need Green New, Green New Deal initiatives and billions and billions of dollars, and we'll implement this. Well, who's going to implement it? The people that you're not paying very well, and there's a mass exodus. On the right, they're like, well, we need to do all this thinning and project work and burning. Well, who's going to implement that? That's going to be these wildland firefighters that you promised raises to, but now neither side is talking about them. It's become highly political, and it's quite frankly very sickening. But surprise, surprise, who would have thought that we would have seen anything different? But I'm trying to promote change in that area, and and it seems like I'm gaining some sort of traction on that. Now, other things that people are talking about in the comments that I want to discuss is the amount of people that misunderstand what a fire-resilient and fire-reliant landscape is. Quite frankly, I thought for the longest time that maybe, just maybe, this was common knowledge, but it turns out that's just not the case. There are plant species, animal species, tree species that cannot propagate and reproduce without fire. Plain and simple. If there isn't a fire, these stands die off and you end up with things like sagebrush and grass moving in and and other things. The landscape then changes. In order to keep a lot of these landscapes healthy, you need fire to go through. Now, you don't always want wall-to-wall running crown fire pushing through these things. It's good. It's well known in the industry that it's good to what we call blow out a few pockets, and that's just to make room for new growth. But there are also species that are called stand replacement species, which is when a wildfire comes through, it consumes the entire stand of trees. And then in just a few years time, it's all growing back. In a couple months, it's all green again. A lot of people don't realize this. It's well known in the industry as well that you'll be working on a fire and it's, it may be the, the fun really active, exciting part of the fire ended maybe a day and a half, two days ago. And now you're doing what's called mop-up and you're walking around and you're talking to your friends and and you're finalizing the work that's needed. But you've only been there for three, four days. At that point, the birds come back. And it's known that basically when the birds come back, when you're working on a wildfire, the fire is done. And the fire's done at that point in time. And the birds know this. They come in, they get all the new seeds that have been exposed, they eat all the insects. 
wildfires bring in insects. There's things called fire beetles. There's also things called stump fuckers. Uh, if you don't know what that is, these things land on trees that have been burned out. And then they have this big, long spine that comes out of the back of this insect. And then they inject eggs and things like that into these trees. And then their young propagate. And that's how they reproduce. So the birds come back in and they start eating all these insects up because these are insects that tra- literally travel to where there are wildfires. So these are called fire-reliant and fire-resilient landscapes. Now, the big kahuna, the big thing that everybody's saying <laughs> is going on is that these are all caused by space lasers and it's a grand conspiracy to push climate change and let everybody know that uh, it's a lot worse than it actually is and, and this is all being controlled and manipulated by world governments, so on and so forth. First things first. Are there governments and are there politicians and media people that are using wildfires for political and social change purposes? The answer to that is yes. It's like anything else in the world. They did that with the war on drugs. They did that with the war on poverty. They did that with, you know, fill in the blank. It's it's what it is. That's how our world operates. A lot of people would call it corrupt and disingenuous. But the fact of the matter is, is these things do happen. It just happens with wildfire as well. I thought that was pretty well known, but a lot of people are making a big splash about it all. Now, folks are talking about that this is all technologically created and so on and so forth, and it's being manipulated. So let's talk about that. The other thing is, is people are posting videos of a helicopter with something that's called a helitorch and saying that they're lighting these fires on purpose. And I couldn't even believe that that was believed by people. But, you know, these things have 20 million views, and people are like, oh my gosh, this is how it happened? Now, for the conspiracy people out there, and I've said it before, I like reading about these things because, one, I find it entertaining. Two, sometimes these conspiracy theories come true. And three, I think it's good just to see what people are throwing out there um, basically in the matrix for people to believe. We'll start with the lasers before we talk about the helitorch. First things first, is there such thing as geoengineering and weather manipulation? The answer to that question is yes. It's on ABC News. They had someone on The View talk about it. It's across California news. It's well, well known. I've been covering it on the Substack extensively. After the large New Mexico fires last year, they hired a Texas corporation to start cloud seeding across their state. Lo and behold, New Mexico has been very, very wet lately. So, I would assume that it works. Out in California, PG&E, this massive energy company, they are the number one contracted company to do cloud seeding in California. Again, if you're, if you're a longtime listener, you know this stuff. But I assume there's a lot of new listeners today. Weather manipulation is a real thing. They are now even doing something called solar engineering, which they are trying to cool the planet by putting reflective material up into the stratosphere and reflecting the sun's light back out into space before it hits our planet. No, this is not some James Bond movie. This is real. 
uh, governments are funding it and people like Bill Gates and others, a lot of billionaires are funding this stuff as well. Time magazine had it as a main article run and they talked about it. And the, the title of the article in Time magazine was why are billionaires so obsessed with blotting out the sun? It's a great article. It's provocative. But they explain these things. And yes, it's very controversial. And it's real. They're actively doing these things. Cloud seeding in the United States is up thousands of percent in just the last year. Massive amounts of ground-based systems have been installed. And of course, air-based cloud seeding systems have been around since before the 1950s. President Johnson was famous for saying he who controls the weather controls the world and was talking about these weather programs that his administration was working on. Again, if you want to see these clips or hear these clips, I've posted these videos and clips on my substack, the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. Now, when it comes to space lasers, I have to cover this because it's wildly misrepresented and it's used as a trope or a way to point the finger at people and say, hey, they believe, believe in space lasers. And then people who are saying that it's space lasers causing Canadian fires, you are providing no evidence or anything to back it up, and you, quite frankly, are not looking very intelligent by making these claims. But, okay, here's the but. The Jerusalem Post this year put out an article about scientists who were using lasers to redirect lightning bolts wherever they wanted. And this is real science. It was in the largest newspaper in Israel, covered all over the place. And so I'm thinking maybe this is where like these ideas started and people started thinking about how this became a thing. Uh, so I'll crank through this real quick because it shows there's technology out there that not a lot of people are aware of. It is weather manipulation. Um, over in Dubai, they're using drones and lasers to make it rain. And this was a Washington Post article. Again, I posted on the Substack, wrote an article about it, where the United Arab Emirates and Dubai have outfitted drones with lasers to fly into clouds above their countries and then they do what they describe as exciting the clouds with lasers and this adds energy to these storm systems they get heavy the dust particles attract any moisture that's available in the atmosphere and then it starts raining over their countries so there's a lot of things that can be done with lasers when it comes to weather i just want people to be aware of that but let's talk about actual things that exist and evidence-based things instead of just <laughs> going across the internet and showing a looped satellite image of what obviously is the sun coming up and inversions lifting and then the plumes become visible uh, to someone who's zoomed in from space looking at it. But... The Jerusalem Post, it says lasers can be used as lightning rods to protect critical infrastructure. A powerful laser that is pointed towards the sky can redirect lightning bolts away from important infrastructure and have them strike other places. Okay, that's fascinating news. 
maybe this is where this idea came from and it's kind of blown up into this giant conspiracy that's that's out there. It says the findings were published on Monday in a peer-reviewed study in the Journal of Nature Photonics. The laser could provide an alternative for what is known as the Franklin rod or a metal pole that intercepts lightning and redirects it towards the ground. The idea of using powerful lasers to redirect lightning discharges has been studied previously, but no results have successfully demonstrated the concept. A first attempt to trigger and guide natural lightning with lasers was made in 1999 using a combination of three lasers with kilojoule energy to form a two-meter-long plasma spark, the study said. So let's just think about that. As early as 1999, they were trying to, quote, trigger and guide natural lightning with lasers. Okay, this is mainstream news and a mainstream study. And the reason I'm saying this is because everyone who's out there saying it's it's Jewish space lasers that are causing all these fires, not a single one of you talked about this article. You were just making blanket statements and not providing any background or anything for people just to discuss and talk about. And again, I'm not saying that they're using these systems to start fires in Canada. I'm just... (laughs) I'm trying to provide uh, some sort of information for people who see this sort of thing. It says a team of researchers led by Aurelian Howard tested a laser on the Santis Mountain in Switzerland in 2021 to see if they could successfully use it to intercept and redirect lightning strikes. The laser was the size of a large car and fired up to 1,000 pulses per second. So this is an extremely powerful laser. The team installed it near a telecommunications tower that is struck by lightning something like 100 times annually. The results of the experiment, after testing the laser between July 2021 and September 2021, the researchers found that the laser successfully redirected lightning strikes over a six-hour period, during which there were at least 16 lightning flashes. They confirmed these findings by using electromagnetic waves emitted by the lightning, as well as increased detection of X-ray bursts to find the location of the strikes. This is incredible technology that these people have figured out. They basically figured out how to capture and redirect lightning with lasers. It's it's fascinating. One of the lightning strikes was captured by high-speed cameras that showed it followed the position of the laser for more than 50 meters. This work paves the way for new atmospheric applications of ultra-short lasers and represents an important step forward in the development of a laser-based lightning protection for airports, launch pads, large infrastructure, said the researchers. So there you go. If you are a space laser proponent of how these wildfires started, there is an actual article with an actual study talking about redirecting lightning with lasers. So yes, it's a real thing, but it's probably not what's going on up in Canada. In Canada, it's probably a lot of natural lightning and a lot of human starts. Now, the last thing before we move on and talk about something different is these Helitorch videos that are going around. And I've tried to address it some places on social media, but uh, it's a really hard place to have any sort of discourse. And there's these videos 
of a Type 3 helicopter, so a smaller helicopter, and attached to it is something called a helitorch, and it's filled with basically napalm, is what it is, and then there is a flame on the end that ignites the napalm as it falls into the forest. Now, the stories online are that up in Canada, there are rogue pilots and nefarious governments that are just flying around the forest all willy-nilly with these helitorches and starting the forest on fire and then saying that they're natural fires. That just couldn't be farther from the truth. And people are believing this, and it has 50, 60, hundreds of millions of views, and it's it's really opened my eyes to how well media misdirection works. But I'm here to tell you, these things exist. They are real. We use them, and we use them for a multiple different reasons. First, we use it to do what's called boxing in a wildfire. And you get out a map, then you decide where you want the fire to be boxed into. And usually you choose things like highway systems, rivers, lakes, mountain peaks, summits, ridge lines, and you build a box on a map. And then you fill in that box and you hope that it holds to that footprint. With these helitorches, there's also things called PSD machines that do similar operations. But this helps you fill in that box, and it helps you control the burn as you light off the perimeter of this box. And what this does, this is the other thing I found out a lot of people don't fully grasp, is yes, you can fight fire with fire. And the purpose of that is you remove the fuel that's in between the wildfire and your box perimeter. And so when the wildfire runs into the fire you have created in a predetermined area, it runs out of fuel, which then breaks the fire triangle, which is another thing that I thought they taught in elementary school, but I guess I guess that's not uh, it anymore. It removes a piece of the fire triangle being fuel, and then the fire goes out. That is what these things are being used for. You also use them for prescribed burns, where if you want to try to do an understory burn and have a planned RX burn, you fire one of these things up, and it can fill in the interior while you have humans light the exterior, and then it all comes together. The main larger fire, okay, we're going to talk physics and, and, and fire behavior now, When your main fire is burning, it pulls in a tremendous amount of oxygen. And that's part of the fire triangle. It needs that. So it pulls it in. So if you light a fire on the outskirts of the main fire, it will pull the other fire into itself because it is sucking as much oxygen in as it can because it needs that to fuel itself. And then it brings it all together, as we say. Now, can a helitorch go bad? Of course, yeah. The the trigger doesn't work or it malfunctions or an electrical issue and then you can't shut it off and it's dropping where you don't want it to. Is this the norm? No, but it happens. I've seen it happen outside of Butte, Montana on a burn. They couldn't shut it off because there was an electrical issue and they basically had to land this thing to try to disconnect it and Helitac did a great job doing that. Same with the PSD machine. 
These are ping pong balls filled with a chemical that's then pierced and injected in a machine before it's kicked out the door of a helicopter. And then when it hits the ground, it starts burning and you start fires. Can these things malfunction? Sure. Is it the norm? No. Do I think there are rogue pilots flying around Canada lighting fires with PSD machines and helitorches? No, I don't think that. Do I think some of these fires are lightning caused? Yes. Are some of them accidental human caused? Yes. Are some of these arson? Yes, they are. Are some of them malicious arson in the hopes of pushing a narrative? I would guess that maybe at least one was, you know, obviously the narrative is out there. So even if no one started a fire that way, the narrative is still being pushed. So these grand conspiracies are interesting to read and watch, but I just wanted to provide some perspective on on how I see it. What isn't a conspiracy, but I think is very interesting to talk about, which no one is talking about, is the resource response to it all. Now, right before all these Canadian wildfires kicked off, there was an International Association of Firefighters Conference, and they all met together, and the main goal of this conference was to figure out how to have basically a global firefighting force, okay? This resource response to Canada is one of the things that's unprecedented. Everyone's saying these fires are unprecedented, but the underlying story that no one's talking about is the unprecedented resource response. And I talk about it all the time because it's important and it's molding policy in the global wildfire world, which is this UN paper on wildfire that came out early last year. One of the main things they talked about was a global firefighting force and how to go cross borders and make it very easy for these things to happen. We are watching the test program for that right now. An incredible amount of United States resources have gone. Switzerland is trying to send people. Australia, hundreds of people. South Africa is sending people. Mexico is sending people. Canada is now talking about a national firefighting force instead of having provincial firefighting forces. Right now, the provinces manage their own fires. Where in the United States, if it's a national forest... It's managed federally, no matter where it is in the United States, if it's on federal land. So I found that very interesting, is there is conversation now in Canada where it's like, these are so bad and such an emergency that we need to get rid of local fire forces and implement a nationwide firefighting force. Obviously, there's a lot of people in the provinces that aren't very happy about this, But again, it just plays into that global firefighting force that the UN was pushing for and was the main topic of conversation at the International Wildland Firefighter Conference that took place. I just think that's a very interesting aspect of this whole story that not a lot of people are talking about and I think deserves a little bit more attention because this part of it is unprecedented. Of course, we send resources to foreign countries all the time to fight fire, but this is a massive coordinated, basically, test run. And there's actually a lot of test projects and test runs going on around our nation as well that not a lot of folks are talking about. There's a couple in California, which I'll have an article on Substack about that tomorrow. But in closing, 
the Canadian wildfires were started in a multitude of ways. There are a lot of wildfires in Canada, and they are letting them burn. They are letting them burn for landscape and ecological reasons. This is the boreal forest, and it is a fire-reliant and a fire-resilient landscape. This is needed. Now, of course, when these things start near houses or infrastructure, they're going to take appropriate action. Not all the time do they see massive wildfire seasons. Look at Alaska. They have years and years of slow fire seasons and then just have monster years where millions of acres burn, again, in these black spruce swamps and in these boreal forests. Also, a lot of attention isn't being given to the men and women who fight these things. That's why I support Tim's Act, and it's this Tim Hart Wildland Firefighter Pay Parity Act that's being proposed in Congress, which guarantees a decent wage and benefits and other benefits for wildland firefighters. So while both sides bicker and argue about if it should be a Green New Deal initiative or forest management initiatives and where the billions and billions of dollars should go, and with all of the conspiracies flying around, some just misguided, some are absolutely wild, the attention needs to be brought on to passing this Tim Hart bill. So if you are listening, reach out to your representatives, let them know that they should support this thing, because I'm here to tell you, and we're going to talk about it in this next segment, if it doesn't go through, you're probably going to see another mass exodus of wildland firefighters. And uh, there is a, there is an easy solution to fix that, and that's just pay them a fair wage and get this sort of thing passed. On that note, thank you to all of the Substack subscribers. If you're a new listener, we're 100% ad-free, 100% subscriber-free, and completely supported through our Substack, which is the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. You get more podcasts, more articles, access to all of the archives, help with firefighter GoFundMes that we help out with all the time, and our giveaways. We actually have a chainsaw giveaway coming up on the 4th of July. If you are a paid Substack subscriber, you're automatically entered in to those giveaways. We've given away chainsaws, running shoes, packs, like all sorts of stuff. Boots. We give away high-quality boots all the time as well. So if you want to participate and support what I do, it's just a one-man show. It's actually becoming quite a lot of work. I, Like I said at the top of the show, like my email this morning, 578 new emails in two days. Like, I can't handle that. Like, <laughs> Sorry if you sent me an email lately because you probably haven't heard from me. Uh, it's, it's a lot. But if you want to support what I do, just go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com. There should be a link below. Click on subscribe, and that will help support everything that I do. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. So there's a lot of people who are curious about what is actually going on with this Tim Hart Act, what's going on with the promised pay proposals that have been going through Congress, 
and being proposed by the agencies for these wildland firefighters to get an adequate wage. And it's summed up pretty well from an article put out by the National Federation of Federal Employees, which is this union that has been working to get these things passed. And I'm going to share with the audience what they have to say. And it's basically what I've been saying as well. And it's for people in the industry, I think it's pretty obvious. People outside of the industry, not so much, which is if these things, if these things don't go through, you'll see a, a massive exodus of wildland firefighters uh, because of this, I actually was talking to some pilots in air attack just the other day. We ran into each other at a restaurant and we were discussing this and they said there's a lot of mid-tier people that will leave who haven't already left in the last couple of years. When the mandates came out, a tremendous amount of people left. And again, I covered that on the Substack. got a lot of heat for it, but it is the case. Even, uh, Chief Randy Moore, who is the chief of the Forest Service, said this year that of people who were hired in the last three or four years, they lost about 50% of those people, which is insane when you actually understand how much turnover there is year by year, and people who last three to four years is actually pretty impressive in the industry unless you start working your way up pretty quick. But even the Forest Service chief is saying that you know 40 plus percent of those people have left. Then we had these debt ceiling arguments where they put in a spending freeze and now all this stuff is in jeopardy again. And this is from the president of the NFFE saying Congress must act now to avoid a mass exodus of federal wildland firefighters. Today, the National Federation of Federal Employees is calling on Congress to take immediate action to avoid a mass resignation of potentially thousands of federal wildland firefighters. In a letter sent this week to the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, a group of bipartisan senators echoed NFFE's request for Congress to act now to address this imminent crisis. Quote, federal wildland firefighters have made it clear that they will leave the workforce if they are not paid what they deserve. 100% true. These brave men and women risk their lives to protect our lands and communities during wildfires and other national emergencies but Congress has yet to give them a permanent living wage. Cannot push that enough. Again, I put out an article. It was an extended comment, but it was basically an article the other day on this exact thing. I couldn't believe how much traction it got. Right now, I believe it's 400,000 reads. So people are paying attention now, and and we we need to have them, you know, take action and call their representatives on this stuff while while they're... uh, attention is on all of this. It says, even with the temporary pay increase provided by the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, federal land management agencies are struggling to retain and recruit qualified individuals. When the supplemental funding runs out, the workforce will see a mass exodus. In some places, the exodus has already started further impacting our country's ability to effectively manage large-scale incidents. Yes, that's 100% true. Just for a little bit of details, they're saying that that money runs out in September, so we're just a couple months away from that temporary pay increase running out. And there's people all over telling me that they can't even staff fire engines on their forests, and there's you know severe lack of resources uh, and individuals to fight fire. Thankfully, it's been a slower fire season in the United States, but that's not going to stay that way. As soon as we push deeper into summer, we're going to start seeing a lot of fires. But we're already to the point of uh, 
having issues on a forest-by-forest basis. That's 100% true. It says, this is not a Western states-only issue, and this is not only about wildfires. This is about crippling the nation's ability to respond to large emergencies across the country. 100% true. Wildland firefighters are highly skilled and trained professionals. When experienced firefighters leave the workforce because they can't pay their bills, the loss of talent will take years to replace. Again, this is 100% true. There's people leaving who have $500,000 worth of training into them. And, you know, if you lose three experienced guys or gals on a crew, you could be losing 40 plus years of training and experience. It's a huge impact. It's a huge, huge impact. It continues saying, with that said, the federal land agencies cannot hire enough firefighters now with the low unemployment causing mass vacancies for higher paying state and local departments. Ironically, when the federal land agencies are depleted of their firefighters, it is the state and local fire departments that will be pushed to the brink because of the increased demand. Yep, that's true. In the end, Congress will have to approve more disaster relief funding to address the aftermath caused by the response gap. This is a proverbial house of cards that is ready to fall. Well, the top layers have already fell the last couple years. We're trying to hold it together. People are trying to hold it together. But the house of cards started to fall. The question now is, is someone going to reach in there and stop it from collapsing, which can easily be done? And then the hard part is rebuilding that house of cards and uh, making it stable again. In closing, it says the USDA and the United States Forest Service leaders have made great strides over the past few years to make significant improvements to pay, working conditions, and other internal changes to modernize the workforce. These are legacy problems that all agencies face, but change is happening at the United States Forest Service and the United States Department of Agriculture and are committed to finishing the job. However, we only have 15 weeks to solve this impending pay crisis. It's a huge deal, people. Like, people don't understand that. Uh, it's a huge, huge deal, and it's barreling down on us. Again, call your representatives and tell them to support the Tim Hart Act. As it stands, employees will see their base income cut by 50% or $20,000 a year. Many wildland firefighters will feel they have no choice but to take jobs with state and local departments. Congress must fix the pay cliff before things get worse. And separately, we can continue to explore badly needed programmatic improvements to working conditions, mental and physical wellness, career opportunities, and more. It's a great, great message from the NFFE. Again, if any representatives from the NFFE would like to come on the show, feel free. I've offered that invite. I understand you're very, very busy, folks, but I think the audience would like to hear from you personally as well. But a great message coming from that organization. It rings true. We are 15 weeks out. It is a pay cliff. They are telling firefighters, hey, if this doesn't get worked out by September, you may take a 50% pay cut. That's insanity, especially with the amount of resource response that's up in Canada right now and all the work that is getting done around the United States. And that will basically be the height of fire season. August is known as Dirty August because it's very, very busy. And it's the last month before this pay increase, temporary pay increase, expires. And to be completely frank with you, the politicians on both sides, because I'm not taking a side left or right. I'm just telling you how it is. You got to pass this thing and you got to pass it fast because 
I'm telling you, I'm talking to people. And if you've ever heard of anything called self-demob or not responding to an incident or going off call, these are things that are being discussed. I'm not saying they're going to happen. I'm not promoting these things, but I talk to a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people in high up spots and these things are getting tossed around and it's very important to understand that this could be you know, not to be an alarmist, but it could be a national emergency. If you don't have a wildland firefighting force and you get a lot of starts like Canada has received, the United States is a lot more populated than Canada, especially in our urban wildland interface areas. And the repercussions of not getting this passed could be fairly severe in the long run. And rebuilding that system would be tough to do. And folks will say, well, I've had... A lot of very smart, intelligent people contact me and say, hey, Tim, we think they're doing this on purpose. Is that happening? I don't know. Like, I understand that incompetence is prevalent in the world. And there's also malicious activities that are prevalent in the world as well. And the question is, which one is which? Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's just one. I don't know. But there's a lot of very smart people with a tremendous amount of experience in wildland fire who are currently still operational and running large-scale fires that are having these questions go through their minds saying, this is so botched and so bad, how can this not be on purpose? And then they'll say, well, yeah, then you get rid of the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management firefighters, and then you make a world firefighting force, and then you go down this rabbit hole, and it turns into this whole thing which I enjoy having those conversations over dinner and maybe a cocktail. But I also like evidence and things of that nature to help back these things up. That's why I presented the study and real-life experiment of redirecting lightning using lasers because that is a real thing. And yeah, we can just flippantly throw stuff out there and say this is this and this is that. But we need to start providing Uh, you know, real-life evidence and studies and things like that. Clearly, there are some things that I know that I will just say as fact because I know that they are and I've done the research and I'm not going to re-explain that to people and say, hey, this and that and that and this. And that happens all the time with people. But on certain issues and things like this, those questions are being asked because everyone who is a wildland firefighter is watching this they're paying attention and they're thinking to themselves, why has it taken so long? Why isn't it getting fixed? Is this being done on purpose? Is this incompetence? And the overarching question is just, what's going on? Why can't they get this thing passed? Why it hasn't been being passed is because it's always been attached to very contentious legislation which then causes a problem. You need a standalone bill. The Tim Hart Act is now a standalone bill. And if you would like to help, contact your representatives and tell them to support the Tim Hart Wildland Firefighter Pay and Parity Act, also known as Tim's Act. Because literally we have 15 weeks until all of this runs out and you cut wildland firefighters' pay. I don't understand why it's taking so long to, to get this done. It should be pretty obvious to everybody now that it's needed. So thank you if you have done that. If you if you do that and write an email or make a phone call, I'm sure every wildland firefighter in the United States would very be very appreciative of that. 
And uh, that's how things happen in D.C. Once their phones and emails start blowing up, they pay attention to what what's being said. So I think that's the right route to go, and we should definitely push that, especially with the timeline running out. On that note, thanks for tuning in. Again, thank you to all the paid Substack subscribers. It's how I do everything that I do. And you can participate in that by going to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com and clicking on that subscribe button. It's just a very small monthly fee that supports everything that I do. I'm 100% ad-free, and I appreciate everybody that likes, shares, and spreads the word of what's going on in the wildfire world to help the Earth's population better understand how all this stuff works. So thank you for that. On that note, reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while. See how they're doing. Say what's up to your homies. Check in on people. Hydrate. Exercise. Go outside. Get those quality calories because those are the ones that count. Get the rest because that's what you need to recover. But remember, when you get up, you got to get it done.